Amen. I hope you'll turn in your Bibles to John 6. We're going to cover 71 verses today. We're not going to read them all, but we're going to cover the whole context of John 6 because Jesus makes this great declaration that he's the bread of life. And as we partake of the Lord's Supper together today, I hope that you will prepare your hearts to do exactly like Exactly that, to partake of the bread of life. Now, sometimes people ask, who can partake of the Lord's Supper in this church? And we want you to know that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you've made a public profession of faith in Him, that you are welcome to take the Lord's Supper. We believe in open communion in this place, that it matters what it means to you. Not where you've been baptized or where your church membership might be, but what it means, therefore, if you're not a believer and you haven't made a, a public profession of Jesus Christ, we ask you to abstain because it's not really for you. Now, what it represents, Jesus dying on the cross, shedding his blood and his broken body is for you. It's for everybody in this place. But we take of the Lord's Supper as believers together so that we remember what we're here for who we belong to, what we're about. And that's why we do that every quarter in this church and more than that, about five or six times a year. Lots of folks want to do it every week, and, and that's okay for lots of different traditions. And I would uh, not exactly know how to do that because I wasn't raised in that kind of tradition, but I think every time we gather together, we have an opportunity to remember and to declare, and we want to make the partaking of the Lord's Supper together a special time where believers gather and remember what he has done for us. Now, I want you to hear the words of the late, great Billy Graham as he quotes a, a Quaker theologian named Elton Trueblood who says that our mission field in this day, today in America, so far as America is concerned, is primarily within the church membership itself. You hear what I said there? Our mission field? as far as it concerns America, is primarily within the church. We think every week we come to this place to prepare for missions out there, and that's true. But I also know that within this body of believers, what we call believers, that we don't fully understand sometimes what that means to be believers. Because you have people, and you are people in your life that... Don't really allow your faith to inform the rest of your life. It's not the top priority. It's not your DNA. It's not what you are known for. And we want it to be because those people are fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. This, listen to me at this point, will you? As we look at, at John 6 in just a moment, we're going to look at effective discipleship versus defective discipleship. And I want you to hear the words of, of the Scripture and the words of God and the words of the Spirit. And I, I want you to experience some conviction if it convicts you. Because it ought to at some points. Because as we think about our faith and our walk with the Lord and what we're here for and what we're all about, then we know that our faith ought to translate into every other area of our life, that we are formed into the image of Christ, that we're not conformed to the pattern of this world as Romans 12, 2 talks about, but we're transformed, we're different because of what Jesus has done. Lots of times we come 
And we're no different. We think about other Christians. We're no different than anybody else. Well, the, the truth is, we're all sinners. We're all in that boat. None of us are perfect. Everybody's welcome, but we are different as believers in Jesus Christ because we have the cure for sin, and His name is Jesus, and He's given Himself for us. And so as we think about what we do, we don't continue in our life of sin, but we are being transformed into His image, as Romans 8, 29 talks about. The goal for God that God has for your life, the goal for your life is to be conformed to the image of His Son. So that means that we, even though we don't make evaluations of whether people are saved or not in this place, because that's a... uh, a knowledge that only the Lord himself knows for sure. But we can, we can inspect fruit, can we not? <laughs> I mean, we can look at people's lives and we know whether they belong to Jesus or not by the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the goodness and the gentleness and the, the self-control that their lives exhibit. And you know people like that. And those people tell you, let's be, let's be frank with one another, those people even in our midst are rare. And we see uh, one another and we think, well, it's not really affecting them much or them much. Or I'm no better, they're no better than me and I'm no better than them. And, and, and people in the world are seeing that too. The way we think and the way we act and the way we respond to difficulties and the way we deal with depression and the way we deal with stress and the way we deal with, oh, so many different things. Is it different? Well, let's just consider this for just a moment. We call ourselves believers, followers. Did you realize that you can believe In the incarnation. Let's talk some theological words for just a moment. God becoming flesh. Jesus leaving heaven. The glory and splendor of heaven and coming to earth. You can believe he actually lived and walked on the face of this earth. And I hope you do. Because that's true. You can believe in his perfection. That he lived this life the way it was intended to be lived, the way that God designed it, that he never sinned, that he was tempted in every way, the Scripture tells us in Hebrews 4.15, yet without sin. He did it the way it was supposed to be done. And therefore, he became the perfect substitution for our sins. And you can believe that on on the cross, in the crucifixion, he became the atonement for our sin. That he took our place. That is the essence of the gospel. Jesus took our sin once and for all. That's belief in the crucifixion. You can believe in the resurrection. That he came back to life. That death did not defeat him. That he whipped death. That he uh, rose. And so because he rose, we can rise from the dead. You can believe in that. And you can believe he left this earth. Ascended to the Father. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, ever interceding for you. You can believe in all of that. And I hope you do. Because it's all true. And not be a believer. Will you hear me at this point? 
Jesus himself says in John 3, 3, you must be born again or you will not see the kingdom of God. You're not a part of the family of God. You must be born again because in the scripture, believe is not a matter of this. It's a matter of this. It's a matter of life. It's a matter of obedience. It's a matter of commitment and it's a matter of dependence upon the Lord. It's not a matter of cognitive ability. It's not a matter of your mind. It's not what you think. Now it starts it starts with understanding some of that. It starts with what you think. Oh, but it's so much more than that. And that's what we see in, in John 6. Now, I've already preached much of the message. Did you hear me at that point? Because here's what I want. And here's what I think the Lord wants. He wants us all to believe. Not just to make him a priority. To make him the priority of our lives. Do you realize the word priorities is kind of a new word, the, the plural form of that. That word priority is an old word, some 600 years old, but the, making it plural only happened in the last 100 or 200 years or so. Because for something to be a priority, there's just one real priority. And Jesus has called us to seek the kingdom first, him first, and his righteousness, and then everything else will fall into place. Everything else will be added. Now, a true believer is one who understands who Jesus is, and this message, the message of the bread of life, helps us come to grips, come to terms with who he really is. So I'm, I'm telling you today, you could have been a member of this church for a long, long time. All your life as a child, and you not really surrender your life to Him. Because if you are here and you believe all those things, and yet you say, I'm going to do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it, you don't understand what it means to believe. It means to surrender. And the essence of what we need to understand is submission to a Lord, a boss, a king, a Savior. So Jesus. In the height of his ministry, and then we're going to just walk through some verses in John 6, and we're going to go through these uh, rather uh, quickly, but it, it's, it's powerful. So I invite you to go and look at it a little closer on your own later. But Jesus is at the height of his popularity and his ministry in John 6, and there are crowds everywhere. And you may find yourself in the crowd today, or you may find yourself as a true believer, a true disciple today. Or maybe, I don't even know, in this crowd, there might be someone who's opposed to Jesus. There's that group of people here, too, called the Jews, who are coming against him in John 6. But John 6, and the first verse I want you to see is this. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. So here's the question I want to begin our time together with and a little further consideration is, why did you start? following Jesus. I'm speaking to you who would claim the name of Christ, claim to be a believer, claim to be a Christian, just because you claim that name, by the way, doesn't make you that. But why did you start? Why would you even say that? We talked about that a little bit in staff meeting this week. 
And we had somebody say, it was the brokenness of my life. I realized my life was empty and meaningless. And we had another one say, I was looking for something real, something authentic. I'd been exposed to Christianity all my life, and I was looking for something I could depend on. Someone else said, well, I was looking for a better life. I saw some, a reflection of that in somebody else, and I wanted what they had. And me, in my shallowness, said, I just didn't want to go to hell. And that's why I started following Jesus. I had the hell scared out of me as an eight-year-old boy. That hellfire and brimstone kind of deal. But you know what? None of us stayed there in our discipleship and following Jesus. Now, the crowd in verse 2 is following him because, hey, there's better health care following Jesus. He can heal people. He can do something that no one else can do. They've been looking for answers to all of their health dilemmas, and now they found it. Because he's causing the blind to see. He's causing the lame to walk. He's, causing, he's healing the lepers and cleansing them, and, and he's bringing back to life those who are dead. And so they began to follow him, and there are large crowds here. Luke 12, 1 says the crowds had gotten so big that there were thousands and thousands of them, that they were tripping over one another, that there were so many people following him and as we look at as we continue to look at this passage they in, in John 6 what happens is so many people are following and, and and there's no good concession stand because Jesus back to the, at this time is a rock star there's so many people and no food so we asked one of his disciples Philip what, how are we going to find food for this he knew what he was going to do he's going to feed the 5,000 with these five loaves and these two fish and he does this miraculous thing, feeds 5,000 men, probably up to maybe 20,000 people with this little boy's lunch that Andrews brings to him. Remember the story? And after that, the, all the crowd said, hey, this is the one we've been looking for. This has got to be the prophet. In verse 14 of John chapter 6, it says he is the prophet. When the people saw him do these miraculous signs, and there's all sorts of signs, about seven of them, key signs in the book of of John, when they saw all this, they, they exclaimed, surely he's the one we've been looking for, the prophet that is going to come like Moses came. So they follow him because they're better, better health care, but they also follow him because he affirms all their religious beliefs, and he's, he, they think he's the one because of this miraculous sign of feeding the 5,000. And they come, verse 15 says, and they're going to force him to be their king. What a great king he'd made. Think about this for just a moment. They're looking to be a, the world superpower like they were in the days of David, King David. They want to be in charge. They don't want to be oppressed anymore. They want to be the oppressor. They want to be king of the hill. They want to be top dog. They want to be in charge again. All these Jewish people, all these this crowd of people, and so they come to him, he can do something about this. If he was the king and we go to battle, even if our soldiers are injured, injured he'll, just, he'll just heal them. Even if our soldiers die, he'll just bring them back to life. No casualties. He's going to make a great king. Hey, if we have trouble getting supplies through the enemy lines, all we need to get through is just a, a few sardines and a few dinner rolls, and he'll just multiply them so the whole army can eat. Let's make him king. 
wouldn't he be good? I mean, we'd never have to worry about another stolen election, would we? He'd appoint all the good judges and all the right folks and in the right places if he were the king. They're looking for this military Messiah, this one to take charge. But that's not what Jesus is all about. That's going to be what he's all about. When he comes again in the second coming, he's going to come and take charge, take names. And he's going to rule that way. But the first time he comes, he comes as a suffering servant. And so it's not his plan. It's not the Father's plan. And he slips away into the, into the mountain after he feeds the 5,000. And remember, the disciples wait for him, and then they decide they're, they're tired of waiting, and they go across the, the Sea of Galilee, and, and a storm comes up, and here comes Jesus walking on the water. And they're terrified. Couldn't you imagine? You'd be terrified too. You're in that boat. And you see something out there, you think it's a ghost. Jesus makes this great declaration. It's I. That, that doesn't seem like a great declaration to us, but the, the literal translation is, I am. I am. He's going to say that several times in the book of John. I am. You know what that means? I am means I always have been and I always will be and I am right now. I'm God. The one walking on the water is God. Not performing just some magic, but master over all his creation. I am. Then when he comes to the end, other side, the crowds have found out, and they take their boats, and they run around to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And here's what happens in verse 26. They start following, he says, Jesus says, for a whole new reason. It's not health care, and it's not the religious thing, but why did you start following again? Remember that? They start following because I tell you, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me, or you're following me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs they want a forever free lunch there are a lot of believers who or people who claim the name of Christ claim to be Christian follow him for what they can get I mean we don't say it that way because it sounds real petty and selfish but we want to be provided for and protected from all kinds of disease and, and all kinds of harm and hardship, destruction, struggles, don't we? I mean, anybody in here signing up for more suffering this week? You want things to be harder than they were last week? You know, we think, we think you're crazy. But that's not his plan. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't walk with us through those difficult times. Hear me at that point. He does heal. He does provide. He, he does give us our, this day our daily bread. We are so blessed by all that he gives us, but 
in the telling of the sermon on the bread of life, there's something more that I want you to see. He's told these people that they're following just for the free meal, and they kind of get it somewhat. These crowds kind of get it somewhat, but then they say in verse 30, they say, hey, we understand this, but, but show us the miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. It, it, we will follow you, and we realize maybe that we're not following for the right reason. So show us a sign. What can you do? Show us a sign. At this point, when you're reading through chapter 6, I don't know about you, but I say to myself, Are you kidding me? Jesus has just fed 5,000. Is that not a sign? Jesus has just walked on the water. Not everybody can do that. Is that not a sign of who he is? They don't get it. They don't fully get it. And so he explains it to them a little clearer. Here's the work I want you to be about. Here's the work of God. Believe. Believe in the one God sent. What's he pointing them to? Faith in himself. But again, believe is not here. Believe is here. Committing ourselves to him and his cause. You, you know how we do church in America? These days, we do it as a hobby, don't we? We just add it on to the other things we do. Uh, you know, we... We're going to be at the game Friday night. We're going to support our kids. Uh, we, we appreciate it. We, and, and we're going to be on, there on Sunday. If we don't have anything better to do, or if everything seems to be clear, or, or we, we're just going to add it on to the rest of life. That's how we, it's just a hobby. God's just a hobby in America for the most part, even among church folks, even among believers. But there are others, and I, I know there's some in this place. Who make it priority. Who make him priority. Who believe. Who obey what he's called us to do. Thank you. Thank you for giving yourself to the Lord. And to his kingdom. And his causes. And his plans. And fulfilling all of, of the things that he has called us to. And so as we think about what's going on here. Verse 28 says, what must we do, they say? And he says, believe. And verse 30 says, show us that miracle. And verse 35 says, here's where he says. I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. Here's the work. Believe. Believe in me. And what do we believe in? We believe in the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, he says, will never be thirsty. Whoever believes in me will never uh, or never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in, even in me, even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I'll never reject them. For I am the. I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God that I should not lose even one of those He has given me, but that I should raise him, up, raise him up at the last day, for as my Father's will, that all who see His Son and believe in Him should have eternal life. 
and I'll raise them up at the last day. That, that little sermon starts out with, I'm the bread of life. There it is again, that statement. I am. He's going to say it at least seven times in the, in the gospel, seven images. I'm the, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the gate of the sheep or the sheep gate. I, I am the good shepherd. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the true vine. Every time he declares that, he says, I'm God. And every time he declares that, he gives us a new provision. And it starts with this one, I'm the bread of life. So what does the bread of life do? It satisfies. When the 5,000 are fed, there's more than enough. Twelve baskets of leftover because the people are satisfied. They're filled. It sustains. How are they made it through? They don't faint on the way. They don't have to worry because the bread of life gives them the energy, the power. They need. Are you connecting the dots to what Jesus does? The bread of life. Whoever believes in him and eats the bread and drinks the blood will live forever. It saves. So as we come to the table today, would you consider that? But later on, there's a response of his disciples. And, and it's important that we take note of this at the end of this. Verse 53 through 58, he goes on about the bread of life. And we're going to look at that in just a moment before we partake of the Lord's Supper. But before we get there, I, I want to go to the response after that. So I, I want to look at verses 60 and 66 for just a moment. If you're following along with us in your Bibles, and many of his disciples said, Hey, this is hard. We, we don't understand about this, this bread thing. We don't understand about what you're talking about. How can anyone accept it? Really, that verse is, this is a hard saying, or this is a hard teaching. And it's not so much the difficulty of understanding as the New Living Translation translates that. It's more the difficulty of acceptance. You see, they're rejecting Jesus, not on the basis of, of who he says he was as the bread of life, they're rejecting him because he's claiming to be greater than Moses, the one that they had held up so high. He's claiming to have come down from heaven. He's claiming a, a divine origin. He's claiming to be exclusive. I am the bread of life. He's claiming, he will claim it later, to be the only way. And so... For all those things, they're saying, we don't understand this. We can't accept this. But I think mainly it's, you're not doing it our way. This is not the way the Messiah is supposed to be. This is not what we thought we signed up for. This is not our plan. And so it says in verse 66, 
this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. They followed him no more. Would you let that sink in for just a moment, John? Six, six, six. Says all these crowds who had been following him, who had seen him at the height of his ministry, Jesus blew all that up when he started telling them who he really was, what he really wanted. And they started. Many of them. When that says many, it means most of them. Turned away. Now there's 12. There's 12 that hang on. And he looks to them and he says, are, are you also going to leave? And Peter says, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you're the Holy One of God. All those who turned away, where'd they go? We don't know, do we? But we know they didn't go anywhere better. There is no better place than following Jesus. And Peter declares that so. You've got the words that lead to eternal life. You've got the words that lead to a abiding peace. You've got the words that lead to a life penetrated through by love. You've got the, the words that see everything that happens uh, in this world as God working things together for good. You've got the words of hope that stands firm in the midst of difficult circumstances. You've got the words of abundant life. And we, Peter says, he makes lots of mistakes throughout the Gospels, but here he declares, we have believed and we're following you. And if you declare that today, want to participate with us in the Lord's Supper, I would ask you, would you stand as we read together, and we can put that back on the screen. Uh, from the New Living Translation, John 6, 53. I hope you can see that. Now, you read it in your own copy of Scripture, and we want to read it together so that we declare this together, what Jesus has called us to, to participate in the bread of life. Jesus, let's look at it together. Count of three. One, two, three. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in Him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. Let's pray together as we prepare. The worship team comes to prepare us some more as we sing Jesus paid it all. Would you consider what he's saying here? Those who 
eat my flesh, eat the bread of life, and drink my blood. This is not what they were accused of. This is not cannibalism. This is representative of participating in what Jesus will do for us, has done for us. Giving himself on the cross. His body broken. His blood shed. For you. And for me. Father, help us prepare right now to participate in this table by remembering all you've done and by committing to obey what you've called us to be and to do. To trust and obey. In your holy name we pray, Jesus. Amen.